Welcome to The Art of Growth, where we use the Enneagram and the best tools we can find to help organizations and individuals transform. I'm Jim Zartman, and today Joel and I will be interviewing Suzanne in a way. We often say around here that the universal is looking for a particular. We need individual expressions or stories about things that are universal to all of us. We don't see ourselves as people who have arrived in any way, but we are in this work with you. We don't need perfect examples. We need living examples, people who embody the journey that we're on. And I think this story is a great expression of that. Before we get started, the hub of all of our work is theartofgrowth.org. You can go there to find out about your Enneagram type. You can also check out information about coaching and consulting for yourselves or for your organization. Today, I think that some of you will connect with Suzanne's story, and you may be in a similar place of being a mother and a professional and trying to navigate those waters of each. So if you're navigating that and want someone in your corner, reach out to Suzanne through our website and set up a coaching appointment with her. But for now, my friends, let's get into this week's episode. So today we're going to talk about a journey, and we're going to talk about one that is specific to you, Suzanne. Yes. Um, but it is not by any means a stranger to a lot of people who come to the Enneagram, and they get a glimpse of something, they start to discover something, and then the story starts to morph and change as they grow and they learn. And so we're going to dive into your story. But back us up to... Before we met you, what was going on and how did you first kind of discover the Enneagram? Mm, well, I discovered the Enneagram through both of you as a mutual friend introduced us based on our lines of work. Um, and so I come from the corporate side and I do a lot of work in change management and with teams. And what was missing for me was enabling individuals on the teams of being able to really come from a place of strength in who they were so that they could then come together as a team and really become high-performing. And I was telling my friend, yeah, you know, I do so much work with teams, but there's an element that's missing. And then therein lied the introduction to both of you. That's the story I'm able to point to, but there's so much more going on in my life about why you both showed up when you did. Yeah. And it was, it's certainly something that is beyond me. Mm. Um, so I would say in my, in my late 30s, I became confronted by my personality type but didn't know it. <laughs> so all the things that had been working for me in my 20s and 30s to be super career-driven and to just approach life as I was, which was from a little bit of autopilot and a whole lot of instinct, I guess, and just, and just not being as deliberate about it, I then went from, you know, a single person with a very intense career to being married to then having one kid, to continuing in that intense career, to then having another kid, and that second kid having some medical complexities. And I was confronting every part of my life as if it was the only part of my life and was maxing out. Mm. You know, I couldn't be as career-driven as I was in my 20s with two kids and caring for someone with a chronic disease. And I couldn't be an incredible mom that I wanted to be while also being 
in a high-powered career. And so there's there was so much that I kept coming face-to-face with. And as I learned about the Enneagram, I realized I was coming face-to-face with my personality type, not at its best. Mm. Didn't have any of that language, didn't know how to explore it. Mm. Um, I bought myself a life coach when I was 40, when yep. she was amazing. And she focused on one area of my life where the Enneagram has helped me see that there, you know, the three centers allows me to really look at my life through multiple, in multiple ways. So that I believe that you both came into my life for my personal journey, even mm-hmm. though it felt like it was for work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll get to this more when we hit the professional being personal and yeah. how it's all, there, there are no compartments to our life. They really are all this integrated. But when you first came to the Enneagram, you identified as a two. Yes. So how did that kind of come about? What did you resonate with when you were starting to see um, starting to see that and identify yeah. with that? Well, I think I did a very three thing when I identified with being a two. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, I like this. <laughs> you like this? Well, yeah. let's hear this one. Because I read the two and wanted to be a two. Uh, so then I thought, I'll be the best two I can possibly be. <laughs> I do. I love twos. To all my twos oh, out there, that. come hang out with me. I just, uh, twos are amazing. And I read <laughs> that and was very much felt like I'm a two. I'm a helper. Um, I almost helped to a fault. You know, I, I have stories where I offered a chicken pot pie to a neighbor who had just had a baby or something. I can't remember the scenario. Somebody was sick, maybe. And he said, oh, thanks. We're all set for tonight. And I said, no problem. I'll get one for you tomorrow night. And the comment was, boy, you're relentless. And I was like, whoa, I was helping. Okay, I guess I'm super intense. So I, I saw helping mm, in that. I yeah. saw just the whole connecting and and really the heart-centered part mm. of a two. Yeah. Um, I read it and was like, that's me. That And really what I was saying is that's who I want to be. Oh, I think so many people resonate with that. Yeah. You can see that in reflection. Yeah. When did you start to feel that internally? Like, I it might be that I really want to be a two. I know. After I identified with a three. So let's... I'll oh, tell you, okay. Yeah. So it was a while after. Okay, it gotcha. was. Gotcha. Because I was like, why was I so clear that I was a two when I am so clearly a three? <laughs> I do. I think it was that the nature of the three is to really look external and, and set a goal and mm. and hit that goal. Like I was trying to hit the goal of being a two. Um, what really allowed me to get clear on my type was when we started doing the work on the instincts. Because part of what didn't resonate with me about a three is that oftentimes the general description of a three is written as if it's a social three. Mm-hmm. And there's so much about a social three that I was like, oh, that's not me. Yeah. I'm not the performer. I'm not the one on stage. I don't do this. I want to be the one behind the stage right. putting the leader under the spotlight. And so I think I also ruled, as much as I ruled in being a two, I ruled out being a three Mm. in my initial exploration of which type am I. So I felt more like a social two than I did a social three, which is the kind of more general descriptions of each, each of those types. Yeah. And so it wasn't until we started doing the instincts that I put away the type for a minute and I looked at only the three instincts. And Joel, I did this with you. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, and you gave me the description of the three instincts and I color-coded which ones resonated with me, what statements resonated with me. I love that you color-coded it. Oh, yes, that's such a three thing to do, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's very organized. Three? Right. Uh, um, and so, like, the self-pres instinct was basically all colored in purple, which was my color of choice for uh, agreed with. The social had half purple, 
and the one-to-one or sexual had none. Not none. It had a couple. But it was just so clear. Literally, it was in, I would say, black and white, but it was in color how clear it was that I was self-pres. So then the call to action was, well, am I a self-pres too? And I went and read the self-pres too description. I was like, no, I'm not. Mm. I don't resonate with that at all. So then am I a social too? But no, I'm very clearly self-pres first. So then I needed to hunt around and say, um, what am I? And I had some thought partners with me along the way, people who said, are you sure you're a two? Mm. And so it opened up my willingness to consider something other than a two, even though I had become kind of tied to it thinking Mm -hmm. I was. And through learning more about a self-pres three, because when I was identifying with a two, there's a lot of perfectionist in me, and I just thought that was a strong one one wing. Mm -hmm. But as I got to know the self-pres three, there's a lot of perfectionism there. Oh, yeah. And that a lot more things clicked for me when I started looking through the descriptions and the implications and, you know, all of it related to a self-pres three. And that moment was hard for me. Why was that hard? Well, there, well, shame. So welcome to the heart type. Yeah. I felt a lot of shame about having gone out there and been like, I'm a two. <laughs> you know, let me talk from the space of a two and realizing I was wrong. And as a three, that's super embarrassing. That's beyond embarrassing. Uh, that feels like failure. Um, because yeah. what I've learned in my definition of failure, it's not, you know, face down on the ground, completely devastated, failure to me is not living up to my expectations. It's like getting to the second highest rung on the ladder is failure. Mm. I'm not at the bottom, but I'm not at the top. Mm. So there's been a lot of, there's a lot of work for me in that space that I've been exploring. And so having very publicly said I'm a two and then realizing I'm not, ah, it was hard. I felt really bad. Yeah. Well, a lot of times we have to go back and ask all the questions again and check everything. Mm And when there's some pain, when we experience pain, and that's when we go, well, all of these things that I'm understanding aren't quite working. Like, what did I miss? And you hit that point at the end of 2020. You share a little bit about like your, I have a couple weeks off here. Oh, gosh. Yes. So, so the, the fall of 2020 we had so much work. The work had really yeah. come back. We, we had, had so, so much, much work, corporate work. Yeah, was... that I was, I couldn't see straight. Yeah, and I just and I even said to my husband, "I'll see you in December," <laughs> and he was so amazing. Um, but I said to myself, "You will have two weeks off during Christmas break. Like none of your clients want to talk to you then. Everyone, you're going to get to <laughs> hang out with your kids. Just make it to Christmas." So I did. We made it to Christmas. Had you know, and Christmas is like a part-time job when you have kids because you got to get everything mm. else in line. So that so it was the day after Christmas when I felt like I could really relax a little. And I was sitting playing Legos with my then three-year-old, and I couldn't relax. Hmm. I couldn't dial it down. I was like, I need to be productive. I need to get something done. I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting here playing Legos. I'm not doing anything. And I thought to myself, you have been waiting for these two weeks. And it was just so clear to me that it had nothing to do with the circumstance. And the intensity with which I was living was completely self-inflicted. We have this conversation with people a lot when they're describing something they experienced. And I was like, is that a constant for you or is that a context thing for you? Mm. So is this just the context? Like, it's a busy season and that happens. And and then what you realize is like, oh, this isn't a context thing. Yeah. This isn't just because we were busy in the fall. This isn't just because we had all these clients. It's like 
oh, this is this constant thing that's happening underneath, and I haven't named the constant. Yes, and so productivity is a nice word for what I think I was really, well, what I know I was experiencing, which was workaholism. Mm. And I've done a lot of work in that space. There's 12-step programs for workaholism, which is very similar to other isms. And that's when I was realized, okay, embrace this type because doing the work of a two because I wanted to be a two wasn't going to get me where I needed to go. But embracing being a self-pressed three opened up all of these avenues for me to do different work for myself, inner work. So what did you start to do? Take us into a little bit of like, what did you start to do that started shifting the way you were experiencing your life? Yeah. So the types of things I meditated on were very different. So I started meditating on things like, I have a problem with work with working too much. <laughs> um, and really saying, and now that I've named it, I'm going to lift it up to somebody else to help me work through it. So, boy, I can't believe I'm talking about this. Whew, I'm going to have a vulnerability hangover tomorrow, but that's okay. Um so a lot of the meditating and things I was doing in that space, I recognized, remember that helping that I associated with as a two? Hmm. I realized that I do help a lot, but it's for the reasons of efficiency, Whew. not for connecting. And it was to solve someone else's problem. Like, oh, I have the answer to that. So I'm going to help you so that you don't have to struggle with whatever it took for me to get to that answer. Yeah. It wasn't, I'm going to help you so that we're connected and, and bonded. And so I realized, like, well, let me look at how I'm helping. And then I started letting go of needing to help in that way. Mm. Where if I hadn't had that insight, I wasn't moving the needle on helping when I was associating it with connection. Because mm -hmm. it just didn't resonate as much with my type. Mm -hmm. So I started just asking different questions about why am I doing certain things. And the other thing is I started putting on other people's lenses. Well, if I think this needs to be perfect, but someone else doesn't think this needs to be perfect, what do they see that I'm not seeing? Mm. And it started to really help me recognize that whatever I was thinking had to be a certain way, it actually didn't. And that, that's yeah. really helped with the perfectionist piece of it. Yeah. Because if it doesn't bother other people, why does it bother me? Yeah. Oh, look, it doesn't actually have to bother me anymore. You bring up a really important point that is so crucial when people are trying to figure out their type and move through it is that difference between the manifestation of the type and the motivation of the type. Mm. So you're so someone might say, oh, you're such a helper. Like, oh, obviously you're too. But you're like, but the helping, the motivation behind the helping was the efficiency. Yeah. The motivation behind it is the was the type three. And so... That's one of the things that is super important, I think, is not just seeing how we show up, but why. Right. And that's a harder level to get to. That's a harder layer for any of us to get to. Like, why am I doing this yes. thing? Yes, yeah. What is actually driving it? There was a point where you were presenting as tense. There was a lot of, like, disruption, for sure, going on in you. And there was then a softening and a relaxing that we witnessed in you, what helped you make a little bit of that transition? What really shifted for me was when I started to, to see my inner response to things and realizing it doesn't have to be that way. There are moments when there's so much happening in any of our lives and in my life where I can't control it all in a way that I, my type would feel better about, like be as prepared help the kids in all the ways that I think they need to be helped, do the work and everything. And there was a moment where it did become too much. And 
I had a choice. I could either keep doing what I was doing and be wound up, or I could let it go and say, I don't want to feel this way inside, and so I'm, I'm going to try a different way and see if everything is still okay. And so it was thing, there was a lot of letting go. There was intern, internal letting go. Nobody else would have noticed it. Um, but a lot of internal letting go. It happened to be February, and in New England, it was super cold. We're still in the pandemic at the time. Mm-hmm. And because I was so stressed out, I had to, or I was just in a really tough spot. I don't know if I could even say stressed out. I was just not where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I used to have this belief that for me to do anything, like meditating or running or whatever, it had to be 30 minutes or more, it wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Well, I started to question that rule that I had, and I started taking life in 10-minute chunks. Super unlike me. Like, I'm, you know, but if I had 10 minutes, I would do a quick 10-minute yoga thing, or I would do a quick 10-minute meditation or something. But narrowing my life down into 10-minute chunks felt much more doable. And then it started building, and I, I was making more time for myself. I was... I was allowing myself to feel the way I wanted to feel because that's the other thing I've learned about being a three. I am so good at shoving the feelings off to the side, Mm -hmm. never to be brought again to the forefront to be dealt with. And I think they had sort of piled up quite a bit. Um, And so 10 minutes at a time, I can do anything for 10 minutes at a time. So really checking in on my stories and my beliefs and then doing things that are different. The doing is what really really helped me break, break free in that case. That's so, so good and so important. I hope people yeah, can, can take that because that has helped me when you shared that because it's like, oh, this is not like a large, I have to set aside a lot of time right. or a lot of energy. I don't have to like gear up for this. Like I have 10 minutes. I can meditate for 10 minutes. I can breathe yep. for 10 minutes. Yep. Like using those little chunks between there's meaning to why I think that worked for you. Right? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. So Jim's question to you was, um, you know, was over the move, the movement that the movement that we saw and observed in you from that sort of darker place to a lighter place uh, that you talked about some of the habits that you began to change, and these habits were going against what your driven part of you, the driven part of your type was pushing, had been yeah. pushing for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you had mentioned something, and if I can vaguely remember, you had mentioned something about, I think I'm realizing that I had a lot of expectations on what others would, you know, the, the, the sort of feedback I would get from the world around me for pushing so hard, for doing all this, and finally turning more to self-care and saying, I'm going to do these things. Um does that ring a bell to you? Oh, Am I totally. saying it the way? Yes. Okay. I, you know, and I remember standing in the kitchen with my husband. I said, something is not right. Like, I don't feel like myself right now. And he said to me, do you think you're depressed? And I thought, if there's even a chance that I'm depressed, it's time for me to focus on me. And I I went the very next day down to my favorite cafe, ordered my favorite smoothie, and then sat in my car and did... Um, did a meditation, you can picture it like surrounding me in the car. And I was doing this meditation and and she said something like, what do you need to let go of for whatever's next? And immediately the word sadness came up. 
And I, I don't think of myself as being sad, but I think it's because I never let myself deal with the emotions. I always yeah. park mm-hmm. them. And as a heart type, I think that's what's funny about being a self-pressed heart type. I don't know if there's any credence to this, but like, I think I have held myself back from allowing myself to really be a heart type because of the, the protection and safety that a self-pres mm. wants. Yes. And so I never have allowed myself to really process emotions. And I think this was the time where I allowed myself to go there. Yeah, that's fantastic. And the best part was I didn't stay there just because I went there. Like, I started moving through it. You didn't get stuck? I didn't get stuck. Right. And, and I that's think the I fear, had, I had, right? exactly. My yeah. fear had always been if I go there, I will it's never come out of having dealt yeah, with these best. emotions. Yeah. And I just started giving myself permission to have them, it meant I didn't really need to resist them anymore. And mm. then, as we know, they move through you faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do think, had I not, and I, that was a little bit earlier, was when I was, you know, really identifying with the three, finding that I was a three. It was in that moment of having a really hard time that the growth of the three were the tools that I needed to help me move forward. Oh, yeah. And had I not Right, really, if you'd been using I'd, the tools for the two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I would have had some sure. improvement because sure. any work you do is good work. Yeah. But the right work is what oh, yeah. I moved through that so much faster than I ever would have had I tried to deal with it in other ways. Sometimes I wonder if it's actually easier to start with the work of a different type to kind of get you in the rhythm of it. Sure. This happens, I think, for a lot of people. They identify with a different type and they start to do the work of that type. And it does help. There is a benefit to it. Totally. Like like you said, all work is good work. And that kind of gets you warmed up because a lot of times for some people, and I've definitely heard this, seeing the real type, if I would have seen that first, I would have pulled back because it was just too hard to see. Yeah. Like, when I first came to the Enneagram, I did not see myself as an eight. <laughs> you just gave me chills because I had thought that I made the mistake of being a two, but maybe that was my entry point. Maybe that was a gift. I was going to say it is the same for me and that I don't think I would have been able to um, – well, I, not that I don't think. I know I couldn't see the seven when I first came to it. Wow. Because it was, it was too close to home. So I typed as an eight. And I believed I was an eight for a year. In fact, I did a a teaching on the Enneagram (laughs) prior to being certified. I did a teaching (laughs) on the Enneagram to a group of people, and I identified as an eight, and I told them all that. And then it took me a while to start peeling back the layers. And I did the work of an eight. I was following the, you know, the, the instructions, the sort of here's the tips on how to transform as an eight. And then it was, oh my gosh, when I reread it, and I had to reread it multiple times, but once I finally saw it, I could not unsee it. At that point, it was, that's what I've been hiding from. It was too difficult for me, I think. It would have been too difficult for my psyche to have seen it. It kind of blocked it purposefully. It was like, be, I, I wasn't aware of it, but I understand now why it was protecting me. Because if I'd seen it then, I don't think I could have handled it. So I think there's something to what's being said that there's, it sounded similar to you, like you wanted to be a two. To actually see mm-hmm. what's really going on is really difficult for some. Yeah. And I, and that's what I want to say to everybody. Like, look, if it takes you a while to type yourself, to get type, no shame to that. It's part of the process. And sometimes it takes a while to peel back some 
you know, the way you were raised to culture to just all yeah. sorts of factors that play a role in what makes it difficult sometimes to land your type. Yeah. Not in, including, obviously, the, the instinct for you made a, well, a yes. massive difference. Exactly. And I keep thinking, well, I wish I had started with the instinct. But I do believe my journey was meant to be my journey. So I don't, I don't totally. have regrets in that sense. I would say if someone is not seeing themselves in the types as they're typically described, maybe to pull back, put the type aside, and look at the instincts. Mm -hmm. And then come back and look at the instinct of each type. So you're still only looking at nine types, but now you're at the subtype level. So had I figured out I was a self-pres first, I could have looked at the self-pres two, the self-pres three, the self-pres four, etc. It's still the same number of subtypes, but at the same time, I am glad to have had the journey. There were moments where I wasn't glad. I felt really annoyed that my path hadn't been linear or ashamed that I had claimed to be a two. I mean, you definitely it. wasn't efficient, was it? It was not efficient. <laughs> Darn it. Is that it? Is that what the problem really is? Yeah. So. Well, there's a few things, too. I mean, obviously, there's the, yeah, the shame triggers, the, the wanting to, the image piece is is important in that. Yeah. But it also, like, forced you to grow around that issue, yeah. which is, I think, sometimes the the journey uh, the whole, like, the universe is wired for your growth. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe that that is exactly the journey. Maybe you could not have had the breakthrough you've had this year yes. had you started with it in a different way Yeah, without hitting that moment of pain. Because there's something about hitting moments of pain that pain precedes breakthrough. Yeah. There's something about that that, okay, this is actually a hope for me, and I'm hold to this hope because I've seen it enough times in me and clients and whatever that, oh, the pain you're feeling, that's preceding a breakthrough. When someone's like, man, my life is just crappy, poopy mm. right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you fertilize soil? Manure. So when someone's like, my life is really crappy right now, I'm like, oh, good soil, good soil, good soil. Yeah. Something's going to grow. Something good's going to come out of this. Something beautiful is going to come as a result of this. There's something good on the horizon. And I think that's what we've witnessed in you. Like, we've seen you experience yourself in a very different way lately. Even when stresses have come up, like, your reactivity to that has been way down from a year ago. The way you are actually experiencing functioning in your life, there's an ease to it that wasn't there before. I agree. There's a peace to it. There's a beauty to it. There is more of the... The being drawn, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that there's an invitational aspect to where you are now that may not have been able to exist in any other way. Yeah. Like so often we wish things were different, you know? Because I think you mentioned talking to somebody in their 20s who's like knew the Enneagram. You're like, wouldn't it be, you know, I wish I knew this in my 20s. And they're right. like, yeah. But it's not sinking in for them yet in the way that it has for you because... Things emerge fully when they need to. Right. Well, and that's that is a something I am embracing because I wish I had had it in my twenties for efficiency reasons. <laughs> Seriously, like I wouldn't have had to go through the last twenty years. <laughs> but it's yeah. not the right thing. It's I think for me, it just goes back to this idea that I do I have so much more inner peace than I had a year ago. Mm. But very little about my circumstances has changed. Yeah. I still work hard. I still am a mother of two. I still have a child with a chronic disease, but I am so much more at peace and much more able to to handle things. 
And when I can't, I can move through it more quickly. Mm-hmm. So this is the goal is not to never have it. Right. Yeah. Well, this is this is the the hope and transformational work is the focus isn't the changing of the circumstance, which is what so many people do. It is important to change circumstances for sure. Um, but, oh, yes. <laughs> but the process in which we go by it is oftentimes my problem is external. And so I'm going to fix my internal problem by changing the external circumstances. Yes. <laughs> and when we don't know, which is most of my life, I've not known that I was doing that. It no, never works entirely. Right. Um, and so now you're experiencing an internal change because you're actually going directly to the internal issue and yeah. dealing with that. And although externally things haven't changed circumstantially yet, I don't know that's that they the need hope. to. I yeah. don't know that they need to. Yeah, in some yeah. in some situations, I do think are actually you know they're there to grow us. Like they're yeah. not they're not there to just pass a, you know for us to transform or to to get rid of them. They're there to actually w- work on us. Yeah, and they're good. And I think allowance is what we're you know learning to do. Is just like okay, this is. This is spiritual work is allowance, is open, opening up our arms to what is this and what's it doing in me first um, before we can even know, huh, should this change? Should I be, you know, doing something different? And like you said, I don't know right now. I don't know that anything needs to change right now. That's a wonderful place to be because that's the internal freedom versus like everybody's looking for external freedom. Like, right. I don't want this. Oh, I want to change that. Story I, this of my is life. A, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting for me to also hear how you've experienced my growth. And what was amazing is you, you know, you stuck with me a year and a half ago. You're like, okay, great. Yeah, let's work together. And then for you to see my growth, how you're experiencing it is, there's a roller coaster for me too. Like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine what it was like to deal with me. (laughs) It was an absolute nightmare, to (laughs) be honest with you. No, not at all. You know, but then to to hear how... (laughs) For most people, they're not going to know the story about me, yeah. but they are going to experience me in a different way. And so it's interesting to think about the the ripple effect of inner work. Yes, totally. But the thing is, like, this sounds weird, but I never doubted. I never doubted you because I knew that you were going through something, but I also knew, like, you were committed towards your journey. And so I didn't worry I yeah. knew you would work it out. I knew that I knew that it, good things were going to come out of it. And I have trusted you since the moment I met you. I just knew like you're a trustworthy person. And so whatever ups and downs you experience have not really worried me that much cuz I've just been like it's going to be okay. There is so much goodness in you. I've never seen you resisting your growth. I've never seen you resisting the uncomfortability of that challenge that when it comes up to you, because I've just seen you want to be freer, be more fulfilled, Mm. be all those things. Like you have those desires. And so for me, I feel like it's been an honor to witness that. It's been an honor to to watch you even struggle through it. Yeah. Um, one of the things we say in group coaching, you know, we want to treat your tears like fine china mm. and your trauma like crystal. You know, we want to honor that ground as you struggle through it. Yeah. And I've had conversations with you too of my own struggles and you, you know, you walking with me in those because that's the whole thing is not that 
not that we are always the perfect person to experience, but there's that trust that we want good things. We And we trust that as we move through, as we move on, it's going to be good. Yeah. I think we've been able to partner with each other and with others across the country and now different parts of the world because we're many of us are being drawn. So we've done this talk on drawn versus driven. Many of us feel like we're being drawn. And I think when we're drawn to something, there's a there's something that's bringing us together in this journey. Like, mm. oh, yeah, I can feel that there's something pulling at me, calling me to the better version of who I am. And if we're all having that happen, then I think we can we can have grace for each other to journey through that together where we're going to have valleys. We're going to have peaks. We're going to have it all. But I feel much more comfortable journeying with somebody who has that peace, something pulling, something drawing them to their higher self rather than people that are just saying, nope, there's nothing more than this. This is it, you know, and just sort of capping their own growth. Um, so that's also part of what we've done, the three of us together, has been to just say, well, we're all being drawn, but we're also going to have moments where, you know, we're going to struggle. Um, and that's part of the path. That's part of the journey. And so grace to all of that. Uh, and that is my wish for everyone, yeah. is to have people that allow you to be yeah. on your journey because, because they know that every step is a step forward. And even if there are a couple of steps that keep you still or take you back, this, it's not permanent. And so may we be those for others, too, and really keep us all moving forward with grace and compassion. Thank you so much for listening. If you leave us a review on iTunes, it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Instagram at just art of growth. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, if you really connected to Suzanne's story, you can reach out to her. Maybe you're trying to navigate something on your own that it'd be helpful to do with a coach like Suzanne in your corner. So my friends, may you embrace the journey of being you and becoming you. May the authentic you where you are be present to where you are, but be in the dance of the being and the becoming. Be in the dance between the being and the becoming. Grace and growth, my friends. Mm -hmm.